They say that experience is the best teacher, and the best way to learn from experience is to learn from others who have already found success. For this season of the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast, Michael has lined up a great group of successful people who will share their stories of how they got started and some powerful lessons from their accomplishments. He'll also be introducing you to people who are just starting on their entrepreneurship journey to share what they've learned so far. Success is not just about money, and we'll meet some people who have been successful in very unique ways. Entrepreneurship is an exciting journey, and we're glad to be along for the ride with you. Here's your host, the guy who knows a guy, Michael Whitehouse. Hello, and welcome to the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast. Our guest today, coming from the other side of the pond in England, is Luca Senatore. He is a digital entrepreneur and mentor. He runs Secret Agency Mastermind and Genie Goals, and I'm very excited to have him here, hear his story, and uh, learn a lot from him. So, Luca, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, super nice to be here, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. All right. And... So tell us a little bit about what you do and, and what Super Agent Secret Agency Mastermind and Genie Goals are. Yeah, sure. For, oh, absolutely. Genie Goals is a, a traditional digital marketing agency. We've got 30 fantastic staff. And uh, we've been going for a number of years serving e-commerce brands. And, uh, and as a CEO, I used to travel a lot and speak at events and, and so on. And when the pandemic hit, uh, the traveling came to a halt. And, uh, and so I, I found myself with about 100 hours a month that uh, I didn't need to spend traveling anymore. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think I'm a little bit hyperactive. So I thought, let's, you know, I've been in coaching for a long time. I coached many organizations for about 20 years, but always as a side hustle, always as something that I do because I love seeing businesses grow. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when the pandemic hit, I thought, well, I've got this time. It's incredible. So I'll just do something with this. And, uh, and we just started a program that was more structured, that is accompanied with an online learning portal and, and five or six coaches. And, and it's just a little bit more comprehensive than just me consulting and mentoring people. It's an organization. But the ambition was very low because it was a part-time gig. And uh, mm-hmm. I know that you know, we exploded and we grew uh, we grew very, very fast, and uh, now it's a, it's a very legitimate business that drives very significant numbers. But most importantly, it does very good work for the people that are stuck and they don't know how to grow a business, and we donate a lot of money to charity, so we do a lot of good for people around the world as well, which makes me super happy. Oh, nice. That, that's fantastic. So what, what are some of the charities that you focus on helping? So the, this year we focus on helping Well Aware, uh, which is an organization based in uh, Texas, and they focus on uh, providing clean water system um, in Kenya, particularly. So we mm-hmm. just donated $15,000 last month to found the building of a, of a clean water, a rainwater collection uh, filtering process for a school in Kenya, which will give water to a school that at the moment doesn't. And so kids oh, need fantastic. to get water from home in order for them to be get a, getting a cooked meal. And we also support an organization based in the UK, uh, which is called CAMFED, Campaign for Female Education, and they support female education in uh, third world countries. And lastly, during Q4, when it gets really cold and and really difficult for some families here in the UK, where you know the economy is much stronger than third world countries, but still there are people that don't really have money to feed their children. We donate money to feed families. So last year we donated about three thousand pounds. This is about $5,000 to feed families. 
That's great. I love that. I, I was actually just talking to someone the other day who's um, at the, uh, let's just say the other end of the economic spectrum from many of the people I'm having on the show this season. And, and she was saying one of her, her dreams was, you know, I, I want to win the lottery so I could buy a building and have it be a place for, for women who are escaping bad situation, abusive situations, um, you know, live there and have some, some services in there and whatnot. But, you know, I'd have to win the lottery. And I said, you don't have to win the lottery. You just have to find people with money, show them why they should give it to you, and then ask them to give it to you. And, and she said, yeah, I wish, I wish the billionaires would do that. And I said, they do. Yeah. And the millionaires do it too. People are doing it all the time. And which was, why don't I hear more about that? <laughs> yeah, I think I, think I looked at the charitable statistics. I think something like 85% of the charitable donations are donated by billionaires. And mm-hmm. Makes sense because they, they're billionaires. So they can... They got yeah. a little more firepower to deliver in that. But the truth is that you really don't need anything in order to help. You really don't. You know, you, you my, my son and I will bake lasagna for the homeless people sometimes. Yeah. Right? So, you know, you don't have to make an impact globally. I mean, I think the spectrum of, uh, I guess, in my opinion, uh, self-fulfillment is when you first help yourself because you have no, uh, you have no resources but no insight. Right. Yeah. Then you begin to help your family and close friends, and then the community, and then nationally, and then globally. Right. This mm-hmm. is all. And I don't think the people. I feel uh, they they think, oh well, I can't make a global impact, and therefore I'm not suited for giving. Well, it's not true. You know, if you can give a pound, great. If you can't give money, you can give time. Sometimes mm-hmm. all you can give is a nice text to somebody, and yep. just to be nice instead of being right, and that is giving. So. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not really buy into the, uh, you know, when I get there, then I'll do this. Yes. Yeah. I, I totally love that. Well, and I, I think some of that's the, the difference between kind of the abundance mindset and the scarcity mindset is when you have the abundance mindset, you say, and cause you know, when someone says, yeah, well, I want to, you know, when someone who has no money and no experience in business says, I want to buy a building and start this program and do this thing. I'm like, okay, cool. So what are you going to do next? No, like, ha, 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 no, I'm not really going to do it. I said, why not? You have a plan and a goal. Why aren't you, executing on it and of course you know in the scarcity mindset like how would i possibly do that but but to me and you're probably the same way you say well you know if you can if you can envision the goal it's just a question of you know oh all you need is money well find someone who has money and get it from them that's you know, it's, it's it's what do you need what do you need make it happen make that go that's right yeah um so so how did you get started um speaking of of having nothing uh so what, what's what is the origin story of of Luca Senatore? Yeah, well, I got started with absolutely nothing. I uh, I grew up in Italy, northern Italy, where ninety five percent of families were stable uh, together back then. When I was mm-hmm. little, uh, I was born in nineteen seventy six. So Italy, being a very uh, religious country, very traditional country. You know, people stayed together. That doesn't mean they were happy, but they were still together. <laughs> uh, and uh, my, my my family was different. My my dad, uh, who I'm pretty sure wasn't my real dad either, uh, but I don't know, left when I was five. My mom didn't know how to make a living. And uh, so we grew up with nothing, you know, debt. And uh, so it was very hard. At 13, I quit school because I had to go to work to support uh, mom. And then when I was about 20-something, uh, I started studying what I could at night, and I paid for a couple of courses, and I became quite good at marketing ourselves. Uh, but still, I had to work, and all the money went to pay the debts. 
Uh, eventually, the debts were paid, and my mom had a, a small um, income that was enough for her. So I left the country, came to the UK. Uh, I had 65 pounds in my pocket. That's about $80 for you guys in the States. And <laughs> my first two weeks spent with 190 pounds, about $250, So, you know, I didn't start well. I couldn't speak one word of English. Uh, <laughs> Somebody who knew me was here, hooked me up with a kitchen porter job, like a wash-up uh, job. The day before I've arrived, I've arrived on the Thursday at 6 p.m. On the Friday at 4 p.m., I was checking into this restaurant, fish restaurant, to wash the dishes. At the end of the shift, uh, they told me to go home. I couldn't understand go home. I couldn't understand that. And I thought they wanted me to go home because I worked very hard, but they wanted me to go home because I couldn't work there anymore. I couldn't understand anything that they were saying. So it was very, very hard. Then I was blessed. The lady at the temp agency, uh, it was half Italian. She took me under a wing and she sent me to the English colleges to do silver service. Silver service, for those who don't know, is basically you with a big tray serving food to the students. You have no need to speak or understand. I would just follow the other people, the other waiters. And I've done that for about six months. Started very, very hard to learn English. Then uh, I became a marketing manager in a restaurant, which is a restaurant waiter with a glorified title. A restaurant that was making no money. With the first salary uh, money that I got in the tips, I bought some shares in the restaurant. And uh, then eventually, within a year, we doubled the revenue of the restaurant. So I sold my shares. And I went back. At that point, my English was decent. I learned English very, very fast because I was obsessed. I watched the same movie 56 times because I knew the movie in Italian and I thought maybe I can pick up that. So I worked extremely hard. And so I learned English relatively quickly. And then I started doing marketing. Then I started opening a business and then another and then another. And today I've opened eight businesses. And that's how I got started. But when I, when I achieved wealth, so I started doing digital marketing when I was, in 2004. Uh, and when I achieved wealth, I realized that really my passion was to give. So I started coaching others and helping others and donating time and money and teaching others. I remember in 2006, I done my first uh, uh, seminar on, for other people on how to make money online, how to grow a business online. And that was the most amazing part of, of the journey was to see others succeed. And so I thought, oh my God, how many people are like me that want to give, you know, are geared to giving, but perhaps don't feel that they can. And so we started this whole journey of helping other people. Hmm. That's, that's amazing. That's fantastic. Um, and, and so, so how did you, um, how did you segue from, because you kind of said like, I learned English and then dot, dot, dot got wealthy. Uh, so what were some of the first steps uh, after, you know, selling out your shares in the restaurant that, that used to kind of springboard into everything else you did? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question, uh, Michael. I think, so what I'm hearing, the question I'm hearing is, you know, how did you do it? You know, what were the, the, the steps that got you there? And there's a lot of mistakes. There's absolutely nothing special about me. You know, sometimes you see some kids and you think, my kid, I mean, my son is 13. The guy's so smart. The dude upsets me so smart. I wasn't like, <laughs> I wasn't, you know, I think I probably have some tendency of dyslexia. You know, I wasn't like, there was nothing special about me. There was nothing bad about me. There was nothing special apart from, I guess, uh, the attitude that maybe I developed because I grew up in some sort of hardship, you know, where it wasn't so much mm-hmm. the fact that we had no money or I had no father. It was the fact that we were so different to 99% of people 
that you kind of have to build some internal mechanism to cope with that difference, right? And so okay, yeah. that, that was very important. But I think, and in terms of practical steps, I think the number one thing was to be disciplined, to always, mm. always put in the work. Because I've done professional, um, uh, semi-professional sport for some time. And uh, I see it there too. And in business, it's exactly the same. It's never the most talented. It's never the most gifted. It's always the one that works with the most discipline. Not necessarily the hardest, because I don't want people thinking, oh, you need to work 25 hours a day. That's how you crush it. No, no, no. Rest is so important. You know, reach out is so important. And staying away from work allows you to be better at work when you go back, if you do this better. It's more the discipline of doing the things that we don't want to do. I don't want mm-hmm. to pick up the phone and offer my offer to somebody because that could mean rejection, and I don't like it. And so there are two ways, broadly speaking, that you can approach this type of thought process, i.e., okay, I shit myself, I don't do it, and therefore I convince myself that I have to work on more important things like the logo, the color of that button on the website, or the article that I need to write. You know, all those things that we convince us of that are important, but we know deep inside that we need to sell. Because if there's no mm-hmm. sell, there's no cash, no cash, no life. And so the discipline of saying, okay, I'm gonna do that. I don't like it, it sucks, I'm gonna do that, right? And the discipline of putting yourself out there, especially in digital entrepreneurship, you know. Look, <laughs> What ha- if tomorrow you, Michael, decide to start a fantastic uh, um, a podcast, yeah, called mm-hmm. I Knows the Guy, and uh, you just want to be on camera, you just want to be, and you never done it before, and your friends don't know you like that, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you put it online? Oh, my God, you know, they're going to judge me. They're going to drag me down. They want to, they, mm-hmm. they will hate, they will hate, on, and they will. They will hate on you, they will troll you, right? It's enough for you to go on Amazon and type in, I don't know, Tony Robbins maybe, or Gary Vaynerchuk, or, or Robin Sharma, any of these great titans that made the world a better place. You look on their books, and on any given book, you will see very negative reviews as well as good ones, and the negative reviews will be horrible. And the message yep. for me is that there will always be people that throw on you, but we are so afraid of putting ourselves out there. And so I think what I did do was to just put myself out there. For example, at the restaurant, the way we doubled the revenue was because this restaurant was run down. So I, uh, I because I was uh, you know, a marketing manager, I became uh, important to the business because I was working very hard. They gave me a credit card and I spent 37,000 pounds of their money to build an outdoor uh, piazza area that doubled the revenue during the summer. And so, you know, this stuff that could get me fired, I would just take some of the calculated risk and put myself out there. And, and, and I think that's, that was the step. You know, the step was continuing to, to be disciplined enough to be, the, to be doing the things that you know you have to do to achieve success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it sounds like, like also it's a matter of, of sticking with it, whether it works or not. Yeah, you know, I always, I always like uh, to have a, a POB, I call it, or POA, I call it, plan, plan of abandonment, right? Uh, okay. So when, uh, so when do you know that this is not working? And but 
But you decide that you need, I think in my opinion, you need to decide that before you embark in the journey, right? Uh, yep. Another way to call that is the pre-crisis agreement. Will you agree mm -hmm. with yourself or with your colleagues, right? Okay, what do we do if this happens, you know, if a crisis happens? What do we do if money runs out? What do we do if time runs out? What do we do? And then you decide beforehand what the action will be. And that, that way I find you make rational decisions rather than emotional decisions. <clears throat> That makes a lot of sense, but 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 you know, but if you if you do pull out, you pull out of that project, not out of entrepreneurship in general. Yeah, and it's not necessarily even the project. It could be a task. It could be a part of the project. Yep. It, it just, I mean, look, nothing is forever, really. Mm -hmm. So you know, if we start something and it doesn't work, you know, I mean, I work in marketing with one agency, with, with one business, the agency we run high-level e-commerce campaigns for global brands, right? Yep. Spending millions. With the other, we do marketing ourselves in a creative way. The number one focus is never on the stuff that works. The stuff that works, fine, we maintain it, is on the tests. And the nature of tests is, is much like science. The nature of science is failure, right? Because the vast majority mm -hmm. of experiments lead to failure. And I think we need to change the interpretation of failure. Failure is just one of the ways in which this doesn't work. And it's part yeah. of the job to find those. And tests in business is the same. Okay, let me go and try this. And if it doesn't work, what do I do if it doesn't work? And I think if we decide that beforehand, then we have less emotional attachment to it. For example, we do about, I don't know, for, for one of the businesses, we do about forty to $50,000 through Facebook alone, organic, right? And, and a lot of the stuff that drugs the strategy is the post that we send out. So when we send the post that doesn't work, we delete it. Not nobody, but because we made this decision beforehand, it's fine. If you send out something and it doesn't work quite uh, like you hope, then you take it personally. You, you mm -hmm. do all sorts of things that you shouldn't do. So I think, yeah, it's, it's important to quit and then move on to the next strategy and then move on to the yep. next strategy. Yep. Yeah, but but still staying with it. And I, I think that's that 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 seems like one of the biggest things you do is you kept going, and you you know you you kept kept working on learning English, and then you worked at the restaurant, and you kept doing that, and then because uh, I I think some people if they if they had that scarcity mentality or you know Robert Kiyosaki we call it the the poor mentality, they've been told by everyone you know entrepreneurship's not for us, we're not that kind of people. Then someone goes out and tries it once, and it doesn't work once, and every, and their friends say, see see, told you so. Told you so. That that proves proves it doesn't work, and not simply okay. You tried it once, and I do it six more times, and get the thing that works because that's yeah. It's I think the 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 myth of the overnight the overnight success is one of the one of the most pernicious myths that's out there for preventing people from being successful. Yeah, I mean overnight success, in my opinion, is nothing less than a manifestation of many years of work. But yeah, you know, a lot of people they try, they try, they say they tried everything. Well, they tried everything except keeping it, you know, sticking it out. Try yeah. So, you know, it really depends on priorities. You know, I, I was a semi-professional mixed martial arts athlete. I never wanted to do that professionally as a, as a career. I knew that for a fact. For me, it was a journey made of pleasure. It was challenging. It was, but that's it. So if you really want it, then you should continue. You should be obsessed with the destination, but very flexible with the, with, the, with the way you get there, right? But ultimately, there is also nothing wrong with saying, this isn't for me. It's too painful. It's too hard. It's mm -hmm. too hard to find. As long as it's not a compromise, but it's a rational decision, right? Yes. So I've got two best friends in Italy, yeah? 
I mean, we, we grew up together. I mean, us three did so, you know, all the bad stuff that you do with kids that we did with these two guys. <laughs> One is basically identical to me, right? If he earns 10, he invests in a business 15 to grow it, right? And he does all this stuff, right? The other is as the opposite as you can imagine. It was for a very large company. He gets his 10% salary increase every year. His boss doesn't know what his name is because the company is so large. He doesn't, he has a job that is very mechanical, right? But at 5 p.m. on the dot is the first one down at the lake in the summer, right? Uh, he, mm-hmm. he has no worries whatsoever with work, right? And that is just the way he lives his life. As long as one is happy, yeah. honestly yeah. happy with themselves, then do what you want. You know, it's no problem. You know, no problem. Yeah. Whatsoever. If for whatever reason the world was to come down and say to me, look, you are not to do this anymore. You need to go and collect trash in the morning for a living. I'll do that and I'll, and I'll rewire my brain to find happiness within there because ultimately it's all about happiness. And happiness is not just in one areas of life. You know, there's many good successful entrepreneurs mm-hmm. who are miserable because their body is not being looked after, looked after because their relationships are crap because of whatever yep. it was. So... Yeah, no, I, I love that you're saying that. That's one of the one of the themes. It actually keeps coming up in the interviews, and something I always want to drive home to people is is that it's not all about money. Now, there's a certain amount of money that you, it's hard to be happy without. You know, if you're making eleven thousand dollars a year and supporting a family, you're probably not going to be happy just because you're struggling. You know, you're worrying about how you're going to eat. But once you once you can get those basic needs met, it's not necessarily you know, money. Now, for some people, money is it. No, money makes them happy and that's what they want. That's what they're driven towards. And for others, they don't need to. I, I found that when I entered the coaching space, a lot of the coaches that had, well, a lot of it, they had big ticket programs. And so they wanted to sell me on creating big ticket programs that I could pay them a lot of money to teach me how to make. And a lot of them tried to convince me, you need to have big ticket programs. You got to be focused on money because that's what coaches need to do because that's what they were selling. And I realized after a few months, I don't need to do that. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't turn it down. I wouldn't say, no, this is too much money. But, but you know, I that's not my main focus. Like you, I'm, I'm about, you know, helping people, educating, bringing people forward. And if I make money doing it, great. But if I can cover my bills and and have some meaning and have time with my family and live in a nice place, then that's, you know, that's success right there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think that money and happiness are mutually exclusive of each other. I don't think they are... Money doesn't make you better, it makes you more of who you are. We we know that sentence. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's just what it is. It makes life easier. Money makes life easier. But if you, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you live in extreme poverty, it's harder to be happy simply because if you cannot make hands meet, then by default, you are worrying about doing that. If the you know, because you're worrying about keeping the fundamentals in place, food, mm-hmm. etc. Provided that's sorted, I think the people who have not, ma- not much money but enough to, to, to not be uh, struggling like that and are not happy, they're never going to be happy with money. Mm-hmm. They're never going to be happy with money. Money actually can make you unhappy. And I, I remember this story. When I, my, one of my first businesses, I never, every business that I built is bootstrap. That one business, we borrowed twenty thousand pounds for the month from the bank. The recession hit, and I don't really do stress because you know life isn't about what happens; it's about what you do with it. So stressing mm-hmm. or not, 
I wasn't going to change the 20k that I owed. You know, whether I stress or I don't stress. <laughs> I love that. Love that. And and so, but I remember going up, going to bed, and I think, oh, it's 20k that we owe the bank, and the recession is hitting us hard. Now. Then we made the money. We did everything right. Now, today, my agency alone, our Google bill is about, just Google alone is about half a million a month. <laughs> yes, yes, we're making the money, but anything could happen. If you stop making the money, then you go, see, we've got 30 staff. Our wage bill is bigger than, so, you know, my, my point is that there's always problems. There's other problems. And if you cannot be happy with one set of problems, you're never going to be happy even if you fix that set of problems because you like other mm-hmm. set of problems. So I think it's about changing the perception of what problems are. Problems are just part of life. It's a bit like rain, right? It's not about yeah. waiting for the sun to dance, it's about dancing in the rain. And it's the same here. I think happiness and money are two different things. Money makes life easier. And so does having all your limbs. And so does not having a chronic illness. And so does having a good partner. And so does having all your hair. You know, many things are, are you know, are, are, are good to make life easier, but I don't think they dictate happiness. Happiness comes from within. Absolutely. So, so you know, how did you learn that? Because um, that, that doesn't sound like something that, that one just grows up with, unless you grew up with it. But, but how, how did you learn the, these ideas of, um, of being, especially, especially the stressing? Like, that's not a, a natural state to say, ah, I owe 20000 but I'm okay. Yeah, no, I don't know what I learned. That's a good question. I've never been asked that question. Where did I learn? I mean, I grew up listening to to Tony Robbins and the likes and working on them, not just listening. So maybe it comes to that. But to this day, Mike, I mean, I'm so blessed, you know, because but but I have to work. I have never received a cent right from anybody. Everything that we built, we built it from scratch, mm-hmm. right, bootstrap. And so my gratitude is still coming from a place where I know that I'm not entitled to anything that I have. Mm. I deserve it because I bloody work for it, but I'm not entitled to it. So when I go to bed and I do this, I would say 80, 90% of the times, you know, the times that I don't do it is because I'm tired that I fall asleep before I can think about it. But 90% of the time I go to bed and I close my eyes and I give thanks to the universe. And uh, mm. I hope I'm not offending anybody here, but I personally don't follow any religion, right? Um, and so I don't give thanks to God because I think that if I don't, then I'm going to get punished. It's none of that. <laughs> I don't believe in any type of religion. I, I, I give thanks to the universe, but not because of the money that I have, but because I can sleep on a bed that is clean, soft, in a warm house. Because you know mm. what? That very moment, not in Africa, in the same first world country where I live, in the same town where there are people that earn in excess of, of you know, two or three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a pound a year, there are people dream, uh, uh, sleeping in the street. And I'm not one yep. of those. I go to bed every single night, I whisper in my kids here, I've got three kids, I whisper, you're confident, you're kind, you're com- you never give up. Right? And I whisper that in the ear every single night when I go to bed and they sleep. My old, my eldest is thirteen. I've done it for thirteen years. Right? So I love that. I think you learn it by living it. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Well, and and you know, getting in, discovering Tony Robbins early, I think is certainly a, a huge thing. Um, and it's interesting what you said about about you know th- thanking the universe and whatnot. Uh, you know, I've spoken to a number of coaches and people in in this space, and it's interesting how I've I've yet to meet one of them who's 
who's pure atheist, who's like, nope, things just happen and and there's no no higher force. Everyone believes in everyone is successful, believes there is something to it, whether it's the universe or God or uh, you know the flying spaghetti monster or something. But th- but there's like there's too much happening. They've had too much good fortune for it just to have just happened, and they are too humble to say they made it happen. So because there's so many times when you meet the right person, you go to the supermarket. And the exact person you needed to meet today is right there. And you're chatting you're like, oh, my God. Oh, you do this. I do this. Oh, we should work together. And there's there's no way that just happened. So, yeah, I found almost universally they all have, have some sort of something that they, they want to give thanks to and want to appreciate. Yeah, no, I'm far from atheist. I just uh, don't um, I don't agree with organized religion because mm-hmm. just statistically has caused you know, a lot of uh, suffering. And yep. because, because I like to be factual, and I know, I mean, look, if anybody listens to this conversation now, anybody, you know, as, however smart and attentive they are, and they are to uh, recall this conversation and talk it uh, to somebody else, narrate it to somebody else in three days, mm-hmm. chances are they're going to change anything between 20 and 80% of what we actually yep. With good intention. So I'm not going to live my life based on a book that was written thousands of years ago. That people, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just not going to do it. It makes no sense, right? Because mm-hmm. especially when the organizations fight, them, fight amongst each other to, 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 to argue whose imaginary friend is more powerful. I just don't <laughs> I do believe in, in a God-type presence i don't know if it looks anything like a ball or like a square or if it looks like anything if it's like i don't know but i do have a tendency to believe it and i don't know if that is because it's hardwired in the hope that there's something more after i don't know i'm more agnostic i'm more open to anything you know mm-hmm. if I, but, but certainly when it comes to what you were talking about which is i don't know divine or, or supernatural providence it does seem that some things are just too weird to be be happening just like that right yeah but, so i i agree with you i agree with you yeah i think it also gets to, to something you were saying saying earlier about uh you know when it, sometimes you got to fold I, I don't know if you're familiar with poker i think you play poker over there in england right um poker I, I, you play poker in england right yes yes yeah okay um so you know the, the idea of you know no, no one to hold them no one to fold them the, the, the best poker players aren't lucky it's not because they get one good hand and they win the pot it's because they lose less on the losing hands and they win more on the winning hands. And it's the same thing in, in life. If you can cut your losses earlier on the losing, losing things and not get romantic. Like in my 20s, I opened a business that was clear 12 to 18 months in wasn't going to make money. And I kept running it for five years. And that, that was a hand I needed to fold a long time before I did, but I made it to, you know, close to my thirties and I was still playing that losing hand. So, you know, folding the losing hands, but then going all in on, on the winning hands and saying, all right, I think this is a winner. Let's, let's go for it. Let's keep pushing. Um, even out. And, and just like in poker, you know, you're going to lose six, eight, 10 hands in a row and then you get the winning hand. Okay. This is the one I need to, yeah. I need to actually put my chips on. But you see, that's interesting what you're saying, because in the program, in the mentoring program that we have, um, you know, one of the, not the major, but one of the reasons why we started is because there are many gurus out there, and you were kind of referring to some of them, teaching other people how to build the business, how to do X, Y, and Z. 
And half of these people don't actually do what they teach themselves. Maybe they did in the past, but no longer do. Or maybe even worse, they learned it somewhere and then they go teach it because it's easier to teach than to actually do. And our program, people get real results very, very quickly. And the reason is not that because our program is just fundamentally revolutionary. It's because we only teach the stuff that worked every single time. Right? And mm-hmm. the stuff that doesn't, we leave it on the side until it's proven statistically significantly successful. And I think what you were saying is the same thing, but we just need to do it on ourselves. So let me see my, if I, look, your bank account, your, your, your body shape, your health, then nothing else that the, the display of our two, three, four months activity in the past. Uh, in business, our bank account just reflects what we've done in the last three or four months. There's just nothing to it, right? If your bank account doesn't tell the story you want to hear, it's because what you wrote in the chapters two, three, four months behind is just not what will lead to the outcome anyway. Just don't see it, you know. If you write about mm-hmm. and you hope to, to, to have a Cinderella book at the end, it's just not going to happen. And business is really that simple. It's really that simple. I mean, look, to build a business is incredibly simple. It's easy now, but it's simple. You know, you need, uh, at the very beginning, you need to solve a problem of some sort. The bigger the size of the problem, the bigger the size of your check. I mean, it's just as simple as that, right? If a problem that people really want to solve, you're going to get a lot of money from it. You need to find an audience. You need to start a conversation. You need to end up on a sales call or meeting where you say, hey, Michael, do you want to buy this that I think can solve that problem you told me you have? And and then you, you do this and you repeat all the time and you refine. Let me refine how I present the problem, uh, the solution to the problem. Let me refine how I get Michael on the call. Let me refine what I say to Michael on the call. Let me refine what I actually do once Michael becomes a client so he gets more results and he calls more people. It's But but the process is simple. You refine. You, and what happens with a lot of people these days is that they get blinded by their shiny objects. <laughs> I mean, isn't it fascinating to you, Michael, <laughs> online, you say, and we use it too, because you know, sometimes we buy it. It's still fascinating that people say the number one secret to do X. And people believe it. People believe that there is actually a secret to do something. Yeah. All the major entrepreneurs that are making seven figures a month are using the same strategy, Russell Brunson, Tony Robbins, Gary Vaynerchuk, Dean uh, Graziosi, they use the same strategy that I've used for decades. For decades, it's the same thing. If you look at Frank Kern web founders, they're the same now that they were 10 years ago. They work because there's no shiny objects there. When Clubhouse came out, do you know how many people have seen <laughs> And it was one client, you know, we, honestly, in our program, we give results to our client because we select our client so carefully when they come in. And on that one, I completely screwed up. I didn't see it coming. I thought I, there was something weird and I make this person almost beg for us to accept it into our program. We did. We presented a strategy. There was, we did a roadmap for, for him with a step-by-step on what to do. We daily coaching to help him do it. Then it doesn't come to the coaching session for one day, two days, one week, two weeks. And I was like, hey, John, not it was there. Well, oh, no, no, I'm on Clubhouse. Clubhouse just came out. I'm killing on Clubhouse, so I'm not following the, uh, the strategy that you teach just for now, but I come back because Clubhouse is killing. I was like, wow, that's fantastic. Well, well, how much you make? You know, nothing, but people are following me. <laughs> and that is a story that 
you see a lot of times on social media, yeah, I get so many likes. Okay, but you can't take the bloody likes to the bank. Right? But business is very simple. It's really solve a problem, find the clients that are looking to solve that problem that you like, get them to your network, get them on a call, sell, and then obviously deliver. That's it. That is remarkably simple. And everything else, and most of the shiny objects are, are just one step in that. 100%. Agency, we did the same. We build a business, we build with the same stupid, simple strategy. Mm-hmm. Over real yeah. problem, find a good customer, talk to them, repeat. Eventually, some people will say yes. And the more you do it, the more people will say yes because you refine all the steps in the process. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the challenges I had when I when I was starting my business is I wasn't clear on what problem I was solving. I knew what I could offer, but it wasn't packaged as a problem. And and one of the, the things I ran into, I found this great course teaching all about list building and how to build great lists. And and you know, you want if when you need that, it's a great course. But I didn't need it yet. I didn't know who my avatar was. I didn't know what my solution was. I didn't know how to package it. I didn't know what had not appraise. I didn't have any of that. And I got distracted with this great core working on my list building for two months when I still had no avatar. And so not only did I get distracted, but then the list I built was kind of unfocused because yeah. I didn't have a target to build into the list. And that's that's actually one of the things I, I'm focusing on now is I realized the problem I can solve is I could help Michael 12 months ago to not chase the shiny objects and to figure out what the right things are. And I'm like, oh, I found my avatar. It's me 12 months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. People overcomplicate stuff. And look, it happens every single time. But actually, it's really remarkably simple. Like I said, it's not easy, but it's simple. And the more you do it, the more you become a master with it. And then it comes so natural that people are attracted to you and they can't tell why. And you try to tell them, look, it's just really simple. It's a bit like whistling. You know, if you try to teach somebody how to whistle, you can't. You know, the only way you learn how to whistle is to put your lips in a stupid position for a billion times, and then it would just happen. And the same is with business. These are the steps. So over real problem, get customers that you feel you like. For example, in our program, nothing wrong with luxuries, don't get me wrong, but we don't work with the Lamborghini chasers. We work with people that also have a desire to make an income because that's who we are. So we get up in the morning, and when a client is struggling, he or she doesn't just struggle. I struggle with them, right? And when you have that, then everything else is simpler. Mm, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, and work with clients because some businesses are like, my business is doing great and I hate my customers. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a, that's called commercial prison. Yeah. That's nothing exactly. more than being, um, yeah, well, than selling your soul of your body or whatever. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's the same. So, thing. so if someone is, is just starting out, maybe they're considering a business or even they're they're stuck in a, you know, let's say a dishwashing job, for example, um, and they feel like there's something better that they're listening to this podcast, they're hearing from all these successful people. Um, you know, what, what is it, if you were to meet a dishwasher, like I've heard entrepreneurship's a thing. I don't know if it's for me, but like this clearly isn't. What would you tell that person who's kind of stuck and and who who missed the train of the economy? Is left yeah, out. I think that there's, there's a constant train going by. So the first thing I would say, you don't worry about it. You know, there was a good time it was 20 years ago, and second best time is right now. So you're already on the right, <laughs> you're already on the second right track. So it's good. I, I would ask this question: what, what can you do, right? What can you do that solves a problem that some people uh, that you know exist have? 
You know, is there anything that you can do that may solve somebody's problem? At the moment, you are solving the dirty plates problem, right? So somebody mm-hmm. has a problem, they got dirty plates, you're cleaning it. Is there any other problem that you can solve? And the, and that that's the first step. Obviously, there needs to be a problem this person can solve. If the answer is yes, we'll dive into that. And we'll say, okay, that's fantastic. You know, how do you know that these people want to solve the problem? Let's make sure that that's the... Okay, then there is a problem. Oh, good. Who would you love to work with? If money wasn't an issue, who would you love to work with that would make you happy to, to be helping? Oh, these type of people, people that are givers, people that care about whatever, right? So they, we can find a little bit of synergy so that you are more inclined to actually help these people for reasons outside of the money. After we got that one, then we create you a good offer. So first we find these people whether they are online or whether they are at events. And we try to listen. We try to understand how do they refer to when they talk about their problems, right? What do they talk about? What are the common denominators when they talk about the problem? What are the desires that they all want to have, right? So that we can formulate a marketing strategy that seems still tailored, but they can speak to a larger group of people than just one, right? So once we do that, then we build an offer. How do we build an offer? Well, is this scalable, right? Does it only depend on you putting in the time? Does it solve the problem? Is it that does it suggest, does it communicate that the value of this offer is greater than the cost that you will attribute to it, right? In other words, do we give value many times bigger uh, than, than what we ask in return? So we build what we call a golden juicy offer, an irresistible offer. And once we have that, now at this point, we have a problem that we solve, a target market that we love that needs to solve that problem. We have an offer that resonates. All we need to do is to drive traffic, and we know the traffic because it's these people, to our offer. And the way we do that, depending on the platform that we choose to use, certainly I would recommend anybody starting out to do it organically. We do it mm-hmm. organically. We go to about 30K a month, and then we start playing with ads. So you don't need to pay, actually. In marketing, we have a word uh, for a new offer launched with ads that is breaking even, and that word is miracle. So when you launch ads on a new offer, you need to have a testing budget because you need data. And if you don't have money, that's not a good idea. You don't need it. Do it organically. Social media Mm -hmm. is fantastic, whether that's LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, Facebook alone does about 40 or 50K for us, so you can do it organically. And then once we have the traffic, uh, the steps are always the same. It's growing the audience of people that could, should, and potentially will buy your offer. Give them good, uh, give them good content, give them good stuff to talk about. Get them on private conversations because the deal is never done in public. On private conversations, you want to book them on the call if you have a high ticket offer. And we recommend always to have a high ticket offer because it drives better quality of clients. Um, and you get them on calls, and you close them on calls. That's the step. That's, that's quite very simple. In the meantime, mm-hmm. obviously, I would suggest make sure that you make a provision for working on yourself. You need to have a solid mindset. You're going to be hated on. You're going to be trolled. You're going to be finding difficulties. You need to find stuff. One moment, you have too much stuff, not enough clients. One moment, you have too many clients, not enough stuff. These are just problems of the business. But I will basically make sure that they've got something that they can... Um, they can provide that value, find the right customers, build the right offer, build the right traffic, and just practice their sales craft. If they say to me, look, I don't have anything, to the best of my knowledge, they can actually help anybody, 
I would say, okay, what would you like to do? You know, if you could do, wake up tomorrow morning, what would you like? If money wasn't an issue, what would you like to do? And nine times out of ten, they would say something that would then suggest the business. For example, oh, well, I just play guitar all day. Oh, you're good at playing guitar. Great at playing guitar. So why don't you teach other people to play guitar? Oh, because we will pay for it. So a lot of the times, <laughs> there are limitations, right? Mm-hmm. I hope that answers your question. I went. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and yeah, I, I love that. That whole whole thing lays it out. Um, and and that that last question, I just want to go a little bit more into is. So, for example, I was talking to someone recently. Uh, actually, we were talking earlier. You know, who who wants to win the lottery to to buy that building to help um, do domestic they, violence? Do they play the lottery? These people. What's that? Do they even play the lottery? These people that wish they could win the lottery. I'm not sure. Um, no. But but so if, if that's the the audience that they think they can help, you know, someone who who by definition has no money, you know, a a a victim who's escaping a bad situation or. Um, or you know, people first starting businesses who don't have any seed capital or something like that. What what if the people that you want to work with and that you feel you can really help don't have any money? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a great question. So let me let me see if I can ask you a question back. Um, well, I can't actually, but I, I wanted to ask a question so we can get that in a different way. But the answer, the short answer is that. Unfortunately, you can't. Okay. So it's as simple as that. If the source doesn't have the the um, the, the raw material to build mm-hmm. and build, so you cannot. You can through charity, and that's what we do. Right. Uh, at Christmas, uh, alongside the charitable uh, donations that we made, I reached out to somebody uh, on Facebook who I don't know, but I heard it was was struggling with money. And we donated 700 pounds just so that she mm-hmm. could get her kid during Christmas, right? It's, it's charity. I cannot help this person make money. Here's the one thing that you may or may not agree with, and that's fine. But I believe that if you can't make money without money, you can't mm-hmm. make money with money. Right? Okay. All right. Yeah. So giving these people help without them giving you money and they hope that they will make money and pay you back later, it never works. You know, anybody okay. says to us, oh, you know, Luca, let me work with you. As soon as I make money, I will pay you 10 times as much. No, you won't because you will never make money. Because if you haven't mm. been able to make enough money to pay for a mentoring program, which is not extortionate, you will never, or luckily, you unlikely make money, uh, even with money. And that's why if you look at statistics, 98% of people that win the lottery within five years go back to having exactly the same money that they had before they won. Yeah. Yep, this is yep. statistics. It's not me talking, right? So if you want to help somebody and they don't have money to pay you, that's not a business. By by definition, it's not a business. It's a charitable mm-hmm. Go for it. Knock yourself out. As long as you have a plan to bring in money, that's fine. Right? But it's not a right. business. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And, and, and that's one thing I found in my business was uh, I actually I I had a, a I basically found a sideline income because I wanted to help people who were super early stage, uh, but I also knew that that principle you talk about that someone who can't bring any money to the table is not gonna succeed because yeah you know, if they can bring some I found that if they bring some they'll put in the work because it's it might be a lot to them even though it's not a lot but if they can't bring any then it's not going anywhere. But then the other thing I found is is when I when I kind of opened that up and I said, okay, I'm going to create free resources so anyone can kind of get that leg up uh, and then figure out you know who can afford it. People who I would never have thought could afford 
the program suddenly find the money. And, and I almost want to be like, where, where'd you get that? Did you steal it? Uh, did you rob a bank? Where'd you, but you know, they find it. And yeah, I'm, yeah, my, my programs are like $500,000, things like that. Um, but they, they find the money because they, they say, you know, I have a problem. You have a solution. And of course you always find people with no money, go out to the bar and spend a hundred bucks on Friday night. So yeah. they, they have no money unless they want to have money. And then suddenly look, look at that money. When we have no money at all for an extended period of time, talking years, it's typically because we are not um, we're not money savvy. You know, we're not money educated. Mm-hmm. So we're not making good decisions essentially about money, right? Yeah. And uh, and I, from someone who grew up without money, I know what that what it's like. And I can tell you that if I look back, it wasn't that my father was a dick and he left that we had no money. It wasn't the fact that my mom was a single mom and we had no money. It was the fact that my mom wasn't money savvy. She was making bad decisions with money, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and and that's it. And I grew up in my teenage years being the same. And then I came to this country with absolutely nothing. And I had to be good about making The same way that I had to learn English, and I would never have learned English if I didn't come to a country where I was forced to learn English, I had to learn money because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to live, right? And then you learn mm-hmm. money. But money is not taught in school. The, the law of money and how money works is not taught. I mean, 90, uh, what was the, oh, that's crazy, especially in the States and the UK and Europe is not much better. I think the, 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 the amount of people over 40 who have no plans for their retirement is mm-hmm. more. And it's not yeah. It's because they don't understand investing. They don't understand the planning. They don't understand financial planning. And that is essentially the reason why if you can't make money without money, you can't make money with money. Because if I give you all the money in the world, you're still going to make the bad decisions and you're going to get rid of this money. It's mm-hmm. That's why a lot of the winners go back. So to go back to your question, I think if I want to help people who have no money, you can't think of that as a business because it's not a business. They can't pay you money, which is the fundamental uh, foundation mm. of a business needs to grow, money. So who's yeah. going to pay you the money? You can do a charity. That's so then you become a, a, an NGO. That's fine. Totally fine if you want to do that. But it's not a business, it's a charity. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. My, my, my mother uh, always told me that if you have a poor person money, you don't get a rich person. You get a poor person with money. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't change their identity, you don't change who they are. You just change their their current temporary state. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's yeah, it is what it is. Unfortunately, look, you know, we we donated fifteen thousand uh, dollars last month alone, the month before, you know, to help a lot of people who don't have money because of circumstances. Mm-hmm. They go back, they go behind, and not being able to make money. They live in Africa, where it's very little opportunity, right? So it's a very different mm-hmm. world. But that's not a business. I don't. I'm not in the business of helping people building water, uh, water systems. Right. Right. That's charity. And well aware was the organization behind it. It's not a business either. It's a charitable organization. That's why they're regulated mm-hmm. in a different way because they are charities. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. To know, you know, your your charity is a charity. Your business, your business. Your business supports your charity. But yeah, that's no, that's a fantastic point. Um, so we're we're coming to the the end of our time. I really appreciate all the time you've you've spent with us and shared with our our listeners, some of whom have no money, but maybe they learn something here and they can uh, and they can start to become someone who can make money from no money. Um, so do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with the audience before I let you go? Yeah, for sure. I mean, for all any of those that do not have money now, and hear me say if you 
don't make money with money. If you can't make money with money, without money, you can't make money with money, and all that the, the type of stuff. I believe it. I think it's true. But it doesn't mean that you can't change tomorrow, you know. But it's just, and I'm not saying this with any uh, emotions behind it. You know, it's just the, the factual truth is that our bank account is a reflection of our actions in the past two, three, four months. That, that, that's the good news. Because if we change our actions today, our bank account will change tomorrow. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's just, you know, wherever you are in life, I think, you know, just know that I, look, and I don't say this with any, uh, any sense of a self uh, bragginess at all. But if I did it, freaking anybody can do it. Because I absolutely <laughs> nothing, nothing, right? No one in the same mind would have put any money on me, right? So, and, there are, and it's not, not unique. There are hundreds of thousands of people like me that had nothing, some of whom are much, much bigger than me, like, like stratospherically bigger. I mean, Richard Branson is one of those who started with $300, you know? So, Mm-hmm. Plenty of people like like me they had nothing and that's good news because if you know we all did it you can also do it. yeah yeah richard branch is a great example for those who have not read his his biography or stories he is a great example of someone just like i'm just gonna do some stuff and i'll figure it out and then he's he's you know running a music company he's like i'm gonna start an airline ran an airline um because he didn't he refused to accept that things couldn't be done so he just did them and it sounds like Luca, that's what that's what you've done as well too. You're like, I'm just gonna do a thing, and then I'll smack my face in the wall a few times until it falls down, and then I'll walk through it. Well, nothing ever happens by doing nothing. Yep, absolutely. Just gotta keep keep moving one foot in front of the other, one direction or another. Um, so how can people get in touch with you if they like to if they would like to learn more about you? You can Google Luca Senatore. I promise there won't be many. Uh, Facebook is the place where we hang out the most, but you know, Instagram is also is also good. Uh, LucaSenatore.com is a place where you might want to start. <laughs> and uh, yeah, awesome. we're, we're in. We have a free Facebook group. You know, talking about giving free stuff. That's that's where we nurture some of our people, but at the same time giving back to those that cannot afford us, uh, perhaps yet. So you're very welcome to to check that out on Facebook as well. Okay, by searching for for Luca Senatore. Yeah, if they search for Lucas Sanatore in my bio, there'll be a link to the group. The group itself is okay. a six-figure coaching agency. Six-figure coaching agency. Okay, great. And of course, and we met, I believe, on the the coaching jungle group. I believe. Um, uh, I believe, yes. Um, I think so. Yeah, that which is also a great group. So, six-figure coaching agency um, is where you can find Lucas' group. Well, Luca, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been awesome. I have learned a lot, and uh, and it's great because. It, a lot of the people I talk to say similar things, but it's all different angles on the same thing. You know, I'm, I'm kind of thick, so it takes, you got to hit me from a few different angles to get an idea through my head. So um, this has been really great. So thank you so much for being on the show. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. This has been the guy who knows a guy podcast with your host, Michael Whitehouse. This great theme song is by Patrick Howard. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, leave a review and share this podcast. Find the full archive of all episodes at guywhoknowsaguy.com slash podcast. Check out my other podcast, Morning Motivation. It's a daily podcast of two to five minutes with a powerful hit of motivation and inspiration to get your day started. Morningmotivation.fun or search for Morning Motivation wherever you listen to podcasts. Join the community online in the Morning Motivation Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Morning Motivation Podcast. JV Connect is coming up quick, December 12th and 13th. 
If you are looking for a networking event where you can meet people who aren't looking to just pitch you or take, but actually want to collaborate, build strategic partnerships, joint ventures, maybe even find some mentors, some coaches, people to support you, accountability partners, who knows? If you're looking for good people in an environment that's not stressful, but is set up to give you a lot of great connections in an efficient amount of time, check out JV Connect. JV-Connect.com. That's JV-Connect.com. December 12th and 13th, 2023. We'll see you there.